that I haven't made. Why would you need one? Starbucks must be. I'm a fucking magician. Not the library story. It's our story. This story belongs to a lot more people than you think. What did you do? Minor men. Hello, all of you beautiful Florians, and all you beautiful people that listen to Florians United. I am Chase, a Hoberstan. And I am Jasper, the PhD holder of Marina Studies <laughs> and a penny enthusiast. Um, unfortunately, our beautiful hiking calf, the resident fence spurt, is unable to chime in here, but... We will be taking care of it. Yes, it was very gross. (laughs) Look, if I learn anything from Hannibal, it's you show your love through cannibalism. You're not wrong, but I don't really think that's the angle we want to take in terms of, like, healthy relationship statuses. (laughs) I thought I'd give good relationship advice. I mean, you do, but eating people, unless it's the sexual kind, I'm not really sure that's a way to go. Speaking of relationships... Let's talk about the trouble Josh got in in his last relationship. Oh boy, yeah, uh, that was a really good segue. Let us do the 30-second in story then. You beautiful magnificent listeners, please have patience. This is the first time Kath has given us total control, so two of us might go mad with power. We I'm already mad with power. Do you want to do the 30-second recap first? It was yeah. you. Ready? Ready. And go. So Josh was assaulted by a woman named Helen, uh, who gave him sexually transmitted lycanthropy. Margo has a lot of emotions. Quentin ships Julia and Penny. Penny worships Julia, which comes in way handy when they need a goddess around. And Plover just needs to fucking die and leave Alice alone. <laughs> wow, is that it? I you don't know. I always... Oh, that's uh, right. and 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 I had the the monster helps Quentin mourn. Uh, so you had 10 seconds left on that, but I think that was close to 30 seconds. I tried. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so we are doing, like Jasper said, 404, fuck, marry, kill, with the theme is failure, which is a holding dang thing in this goddamn episode. Uh, we do have to do the story first, which I believe was my go. I don't have anything too interesting, although I was hanging out with a couple of friends and they reminded me that when I first met them, I completely fucking bombed the audition they saw me in (laughs) because we were auditioning for guys and dolls and my fucking 20, like 19 year old self thought it would be the best as an audition song to sing Flyleaf, which I don't remember, but I, it sounds like me. So like, yeah, no, that sounds right. Um, The only reason I got in (laughs) was because they were like a community theater that accepted everyone, but I, yeah, no, I failed that pretty goddamn hard. Luckily, I learned, which I think a lot of people in this episode have, but, uh, yeah. (laughs) Why the fuck would I decide to sing Flyleaf for, like, Were you you an emo kid? Oh, totally. I have a hymn tattoo. (laughs) Oh my god, I love it. All right. Who do you feel like tackling first in terms of... There weren't a lot of, like, A through B plots. I think there was only, like, three, four, yeah, we maybe. we had Margot and Josh. 
uh, Julia and Penny, uh -huh. Alice and Plover, and Quentin and the Monster. Uh, this episode lacked a lot of Katie and a lot of Finn. Finn wasn't in it. I don't think Katie was. Uh-uh. And, like, this, this, I don't understand. This happens so often. Like, Katie's just MIA. Yeah, I'm, like, 90% sure, like, behind the scenes that has something to do with a certain contract or some shit she signed. But, like, that's If she ever decides to come on, I'll ask her. So if you want to start with Margot and Josh... Yeah, I mean, we might as well just get the behemoth out of the way. I like that Josh copes by baking. He stress bakes, or, you know, when you're dealing with the fact that you failed at saving your friend or finding an alternative to save your friend and instead had to fucking kill him, you bake shit to make other people feel better. Meanwhile, Penny's coping by being very angry. Absolutely. It's really interesting that Josh's way of coping with... Feelings in general, I think, but also mainly failing pretty goddamn hard is to do something that's still nice for other people. Like just the act of baking in general. I feel like baking is something that he knows how to do and it's something that he's not going to fail at. And there's clear directions on what to do. It's comforting because it's structured. Ooh, yeah. Do you think his brain just autopilots it? Yeah. It's really interesting to see how these characters in general cope with whatever the fuck the writers decide to throw at them or not. And Josh is baking. <laughs> and then the monster shows up. Yes, the fucking monster. Don't speak to me of Dunsies. <laughs> Which is beautiful. I do want to also touch on the fact that Margot Margo does try to get the monster to literally jump out of that show they margo is very diplomatic with their like soft suggestions and being like maybe a non-human body would be better but not yeah. telling the monster to leave elliot's body but it's kind of like when you're trying to get a toddler to eat their vegetables <laughs> and instead of saying eat your broccoli you say do you want to eat your broccoli or your peas first that way it feels like they have a choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I never even thought about that. Um, I do like the fact that you're the costumer person, but I think I'm, I think I'm right <laughs> when I say Margot gets, uh, like, dolled the fuck up. Like, oh, yeah. Just rocking it just to convince Elliot. How much of that, or not Elliot, Monstell, Jennifer, whatever, how much of that do you think is... Margot doing it because she uses her clothes as an act of self-confidence or just well that's part of her armor that's right what she can decide how you see her right yeah do you also think there's like an element of if I look good maybe the monster will like switch to me and I can handle it or something like that it's 100% what I thought was going to happen because she got dressed up like that. It was like, oh, Margot's flat out going to be like, well, just take me instead. And I thought we were going to have a whole season of just body body hopping between. Okay, that would have been so awesome, though. Right? I was like gearing for it. <laughs> Part of why, why we, when we're choosing clothes, it's what we're comfortable in and what makes us feel confident. So I think for sure. I think you're right. She she gets dolled up to talk to the monster as a way not only for him to see her as being strong, but a way to feel strong herself when she's scared as shit. Yeah, she is pretty fucking terrified. So, you know, some shit goes down. Turns out Josh may have had a little bit of a bad dream involving eating Margot in the quite literal sense. <laughs> Look, 
We've all woken up with our beds covered in blood before. This has nothing to do with anything, but I do like that the entire Hoberman clan does have a failure pose. <laughs> Head in hands. <laughs> hands on knees. Yes. Same. Margo is another one who just, along with Julia, she just refuses to fail. Like, Oh yeah, Margo does not <laughs> fail. She she was like, okay, well I failed convincing Monstel, I'm gonna help somebody who I can, because I fucking refuse all of this, and winds up helping Josh. Uh, which is kind of funny because Josh himself doesn't do a very Help good Josh? job of fixing his own problem. No, he fails at himself, quite literally. Yeah, that's why he needs Margot. Yeah, 100%. I stand a mess. It's, it's interesting that there are times when you yourself will fail yourself, and that's just how it is, unfortunately. Oh, I fail myself life. all the time. Like, uh-huh. every ten minutes. <laughs> Right. But you see what I mean? But like that's why it's really important to have like a friend network or like to not be alone or to have people that aren't alone to be like, hey, you are jumping off a cliff right now when there's a perfectly good bridge over here. That is why I have Kat to be like, stop doing that. You're doing the crazy thing again. <laughs> right. No. She's exactly. way nicer about it. <laughs> I couldn't stop noticing Margot's outfits this episode. Normally, yeah, but like the like black and white, like the outfit she wore With when she was helping skirt. out Josh. I was, yeah, it's, I was staring at it. It's going, leopard print. It's a leopard print it? top shop pajama shirt. She looked like a dragon fruit, and I appreciated that. The skirt is also a top shop skir- skirt, and it has pockets. Yeah, hell yeah! I think Kath made it on uh, Animal Crossing. Um, can we talk about how Josh is still mourning Bacchus? Yes. Holy shit. Like, I like that they don't just gloss over that. Josh is legitimately upset. This show especially doesn't tend to be like, oh, well, that was a one and done, we'll forget about it. Everything ripples. Oh yeah, they don't gloss over it. Even anything. if it's just once? Except the Candy Witch. I hate that so much. Sometimes it fucking be like that. Sometimes you just give people your blood and it's fine. Yeah, speaking of failure and people who have failed, while we're still on the Josh topic, that fucking cryptozoology, crypto, cryptozoology, yeah, was just like, oh, I thought you knew, so I didn't fucking disclose the fact that you were probably gonna have to rape or kill someone. Yeah, my first note here is, fuck you, Helen, always disclose your STD status to partners, not doing so is a crime. That's why I said Josh got assaulted, because not disclosing your STD status is assault. That is considered 100%. illegal, and you can sue someone for it, just so everyone knows. Good to know. Yeah, she was so nonchalant about it, and like, rapists usually dude, are. Dude, he's gonna kill someone, or you know, fucking pass that shit along via non-consensual sex. Yeah, you have to rape someone, kill someone, or you'll rip your guts out. So no matter what you do, you fail. Helen is a terrible fucking person. I hate her, and I hope she dies. Like that made me so mad when I when I was watching it. Uh, Helen, I also wrote Helen has no morals. Oh, absolutely she not. infected Josh with no problem. And then suggests he go on to Tinder to find someone to rape. Yeah. And not only that, she was A, going through a divorce, so I don't know if she was still married or not, but like B, Josh was a student, which of course is 
minor in the world of the magicians, but like that's still fucked Mayakovsky up. Mayakovsky got sick <laughs> in Antarctica for fucking a student. I feel like something worse should happen when you rape a student and infect them with like canthropy STDs. Yeah, and like it's common knowledge too. They have like a werewolf cage that Josh likes to chill out in. Well, I don't think he likes to, but <laughs> the power dynamic between mm-hmm. Josh and Helen. Yeah, uh, she can't say no, or he can't say no. He can't fucking say no. Like, I, I don't know what else to say to that. <laughs> That's your professor. You don't want to fail class, and you're back against a wall. Yeah, no, this this episode dealt with two people that I just fucking hate. But let's keep going with Josh, now that we have established the fact that Helen is a piece of shit. Oh, that, and, uh, well, Helen's Helen's morals and, like, ex- when she explained, you know, you've got to uh, have sex with someone or kill someone, it kind of bothered mm-hmm. me a bit, in a way, um, because of what werewolves are a metaphor for in a lot of writing because they were a metaphor for mental illness and then became a metaphor for HIV AIDS. And it it kind of uh, bugged me a little bit that this is being portrayed as like someone purposefully spreading this STD. It's a bit of a yikes situation, I think. (laughs) I mean, that's putting it mildly, but, uh, oh boy. Uh, I do think it was really good of Josh to be like, holy shit, when I was an Uber driver, I fucking slept with somebody. I need to make sure that they're chill. Josh is a good person. He is. (laughs) Josh is the type of person who asks consent for everything, and you feel really good with them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Josh is the type of person to make sure you are comfortable and that you want to do this. I really do, like, so Josh is dealing with failing and being a failure and letting this girl who he barely knows down, even though it was not without his knowledge, he still did it, that he gave her, like, a werewolf STD. But I really like that what seemed to have got through to her most was when Josh literally just said, I just want to help. Yes. And that's what works. I wrote, Josh wants to, wants to do the right thing, despite how awkward it is. He doesn't want to hurt anyone. And he'll, he'll yeah. tell a whole story about Jewish camp. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, it uh, sadly was too late. He literally failed. There was a body in chunks on a fucking bed. Um, <laughs> but And he says, I liked, I liked his response to it. Because uh-huh. he said, Jesus tits. Which is a Margot-type expression. Oh, absolutely. It's interesting that his language is starting to change as he's becoming closer to Margot. I feel season, like this season especially, there has been this running gag with every single time Jesus Christ is mentioned. It's been with authors, like Jesus R.R. Martin, um, Jesus R. Tolkien, I think was I one of them. I didn't notice that. Yeah, they just keep doing it every episode or so, which is awesome, but I want to know, like, where it came from. Sarah, we have questions. This is the second time Margo's had- Margo's been around a lizard. Oh, the Komodo dragon. Yeah. (laughs) Does Margo know that Kanye has a Komodo dragon, or is that a memory from Janet? I assumed it was Janet. (laughs) 
Just because from what little we know about good old Janet Pluchinski, which like hell yeah. <laughs> also, I'm kind of kind of mad that we didn't get to see that scene with them getting the the Komodo dragon. Yeah. I wanted like I would like a smash cut to them like leaving the mansion with a Komodo dragon. I think that would be yes. funny. Yes. Running from security. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing. I of course, I'm biased. I love Josh. Josh is my boy. He's a good dude. Josh is bae. What I loved is that Josh's failure fruit proof plan, and I think it was around the time that Komodo Dragon did or didn't work, it was around then. Um, he was literally like, hey, Margo, here's a gun filled with silver bullets, just in case. Margo kept it, put it in a cookie jar, and used it in season five. <laughs> Margo liked guns. <laughs> but like, I really loved it. Like, it was, he was literally not even thinking at all about taking advantage of Margot or killing Margot. He did the opposite and went, there is no fucking way I'm going to do this. Here's everything I can do in my power since Margot is refusing to stop. I would sooner die me. than hurt someone. Yeah. I think that's like one of the most noble things. Josh is underrated for how noble and self-sacrificing he is. Mm-hmm. He really grew up from that person in season one who just fucking ditched him. He really, really did. Which is part of why I like him so much. He wasn't also, like, part of the group in season one, really. No, and he had been kind of, like, ditched by all of his everyone else. Like, he he was not having a good time. But now that he's got friends, it's it's a little better. Yeah. Um, I really like that throughout the whole thing, I think I've touched on this before, but Josh is the one that continually fail, and Margot just doesn't give up. She's like, okay, next thing. Okay, next thing. I, like. I, I just refuse. think that's why they work so well together is Margot won't let Josh give up. Yeah. Like Josh absolutely failed to solve it himself or do anything himself, but it was but like Margot's this fucking MVP who's like no. Look, you're with Margot now. And being with Margot means never admitting you're wrong, never accepting failure. <laughs> And if one plan doesn't work, just pretend like that was never your plan at all. Yeah, there was a B plan. Um, sexy of the writers to have Margot physically say, I consent, by the way. Yes. That was so good. Yes, this actually comes up later um, with Penny and Julia, but yes. Loved that. I loved that that was a thing, especially with how this episode was a bunch of, like, this people who fucking didn't. This episode was really big on consent. Yeah. Um, I like that they scream in the woods. That's nice. <laughs> Listen, I have wanted to scream in the woods at 3am so much. Can we talk about how I think Margot's admi- admission that about Elliot's quote-unquote death when he she's with Josh and is vulnerable enough to say, like, I would do anything to save him, but I think he might actually be gone. I think that's the first time that Margot admits that she thinks Elliot's gone, which like hit you hits you like a fucking gut punch. And it's it's she admits it to Josh, which it reminds me of in the beginning of season three when Josh was the one Julia showed magic to. Yeah. Oh my god. And in season five with Elliot. Yeah. Josh is just someone you can talk to. Oh, I like how um, Margot's like Tato's me. Yeah, she was so ready to throw. <laughs> she was so ready to throw that guy under the fucking bus. What the Here's fuck? 
I don't think we'll ever know if Margot was joking or not. That's the thing about Margot. God, I fucking love Margot so much. Also, Josh, Josh feels like he deserves to die, almost. Yeah. And I, I wonder if Margot's sacrifice isn't so much to save Josh as it is because she couldn't save Elliot. And so she feels like she doesn't care as much about her own life. It also kind of mir- mirrored, in a way, Elliot and Finn. Where Finn mm-hmm. had, where Elliot had to marry Finn to save the king, to save Fillory and all of that. And it forced him into a committed relationship. And mm-hmm. Margot fucking Josh forces her into a committed relationship. Right. The only difference is she had a choice. Yeah. Uh, my roommate said something really interesting when she was watching the episode with me. So this is not mine. She she said that it was really interesting because I told her the theme. Um, and she said it was really interesting that in making sure Josh, Margot kind of set herself up for failure in the long term. Oh, yeah. With, but she did. There's two types of characters in The Magicians. There's characters like Margot and Quentin and a couple of other people that are like, okay, we're going to fix the immediate problem now. And there's the other type of in, in the gang that tends to focus on how to fix problems for the long term, like Julia or Penny. Yeah, and Margot's a... And I think that's cool. Margot's putting flex tape on it and trying not yeah. to think about what's going to happen in the future. 100% duct tape kind of girl. <laughs> but she also doesn't know how long she's going to live at this point, or if it m- matters, because... She's lost the most important thing to her, which is Elliot, so why does anything matter? Ready to just go ham. Yeah, exactly. Well, do you want to go with uh, Julia, just to keep with the the relationship theme? Yeah, speaking of another girl who just refuses to fail. (laughs) Um. I mean, yeah. I like how she offered to go to the funeral with Quentin. That was very sweet. Because I love those moments where you can... Like, you're just kind of gently reminded that they've known each other for years. They're family. Mm-hmm. Quentin ships Julian Penny. He's sweating you. <laughs> M- maybe Penny could help you with the research. With the research. Quentin. Yeah, I don't know what it is about the way Quentin says research, but, like, specifically the way Jason Ruff goes, is he still sweating you? Yeah. I just get such a fucking kick out of it. It's it's perfect best friends teasing. A really good quote for Julia, but like Julia has used all the times that the world and to be quite frank, some of her friends have failed her as a way to grow, um, as a way to change for the better. Like when Penny's being all gentle with her and she goes, I'm not some flower or some delicate piece of glass. I'm a person and people heal. I have a lot to say to that when we get to it. This is one of the rare times we see Quentin smoking. Yeah. With Julia. As of season four, if things are stressful, that guy, like, pops a menthol. I can't blame him. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. I like Penny and Josh interacting. Uh-huh. Because it's the same thing Penny told Josh uh, last season uh, in the 23rd timeline. If you touch Julia, I will kill you. Oh my god, that's right. I won't hesitate, bitch. <laughs> loads up gun yeah that was amazing they were like not arguing but penny was pretty much reading him the riot act and then as soon as julia came into the room they were like instantly best friends 
Well, Penny wasn't even like saying it mean. It was more like like if you were reminding someone, hey, you've got a doctor's appointment at four. Hey, if you touch Julia, I'll fucking kill you. Yeah, same tone, same tone. They were like, let's just hide this bloody thing who was not upset Julia, and then you, Josh, figure your fucking shit out. <laughs> Very casual. Remember, I'll kill for Julia. Just a quick FYI, you're dead if you touch her. I love- uh, when- when Penny loves something, he loves it with everything he has. He is ride or die. Yeah, I think loving something is actually, like, pretty rare for him, too. Just because of all of them walls he built up. I think Penny wants it to be rare, but I think Penny gets attached just as quickly Ooh. as Elliot, but isn't willing to admit it. Ooh. Think about it. He he made a big deal about I'm not friends with the physical kids. These aren't my friends. I'll save their lives and do pretty much anything for them. And th they're not my friends. I don't like them or even care about them. Penny wants people to care about him. He wants to be loved. He wants a family. But he's been let down so many times by both his biological family, the foster care system, mm -hmm. people around him. He's still got that desire and need to be loved, but he's afraid of showing it because he's afraid of anyone seeing him hurt again or getting hurt again. Do you think- No, uh, I never think. <laughs> I mean, same. <laughs> but do you think there's a difference between Penny 23 and Penny 40 in that aspect? Not that, like, people have let him out, but, like, the fact that he's a little more willing- yeah, I think Penny23 has loved and lost. He has lost Julia before. He's lost the thing he cared the most about. So this time around, he's not as afraid to say, I love you, mm -hmm. because he's been in a place where he couldn't say it anymore, where he couldn't reach out to Julia, where he couldn't talk to her. Mm -hmm. So I think he's he's less afraid of getting hurt yeah. Because he knows there's something more painful than rejection. Um, I like that Penny and Julia are wearing the same same pants. Oh, are they? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. They're both wearing burgundy pants. I'll send you a picture after this is over, but please do. I only remember being distracted by Julia's outfit because she looked really good. Ever Julia and Margot were absolute snacks in this fucking episode. I love that oversized button-up shirt she's got. Mm -hmm. Very Errol Flynn. But yeah, she he, she and Penny are both wearing burgundy pants, which is a color of willpower and change, but... Oh, that's cool. More than that, I think it kind of shows how they're starting to get closer together in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the followers of Bacchus do go from, like, happy, fun, party all the time to, well, time to kill myself. Bacchus's follower is going from, like, 0 to 100 at the drop of a hat is so fitting. Um, I do think if I were a Nyad or Mayad or... I I would 100% be a follower of Bacchus. Those guys have all the fun times. Live it up. I could not keep up. Non-stop partying. <laughs> occasionally drag Bacchus out for, like, to make sure he's good. And then just shove him back in. Like, that sounds awesome to me. <laughs> um, can we talk about how good... Julia is talking Shoshana down. Just 100% instantly knew what was what. Instantly knew what to do. And is that because of, like, knowing Quentin? That is what I was thinking. 
she's just able to attune to somebody so quickly and be like, all right, what's the immediate problem? Get Shoshana oh. and the rope away from her. Let's distract her and then let's move in with like what needs to happen sort of thing. Oh, you're suicidal. I've talked people down from this before. Yeah. Come on, Quentin, Shoshana, whoever you are. <laughs> yeah, Peach Knops. It, did I imagine? I think I think I might have imagined this because it's been a while since I've touched the books, but was there a line in there about like, when they're all in the inn in the first one about a bear drinking peach schnapps when Elliot has sex with that satyr or whatever. I have a vague memory. No, I do. I think that was a nice nod to the books, but like, I'm not too sure. Cause I'm a terrible fan. Um, yeah, I think, I think the Penny and Julia stuff was, was really nice. I'm not a big fan of Penny and Julia, but I, I thought that scene was nice. Like I appreciated it. Cat can vouch for me. I was shipping Penny and Julia, long before Penny 23 showed up. Jasper, I haven't known you very long, but I do want it known that I'm fairly certain you ship Penny with literally everyone. I don't ship Penny with Quentin. Huh, I am genuinely surprised. Again, I guess I don't know you that well. (laughs) We haven't gotten to the sexy massage yet. Yeah, the boobs. Well, we were talking about, about, and I like Julia's speech about, I'm not broken, I'm a person, people heal. God, I love it. I really like that, but I feel like, in a way, she's ignoring Penny's trauma, because he's he's so worried about making a mistake, mm-hmm. and she tells him to, he, she's like, get over yourself. Mm-hmm. He's not worried about breaking her, he's worried about her comfort, because mm-hmm. as she's pointed out, she's pointed out, I'm not your Julia. Yeah. Penny's got his own trauma, this is the first time... He's with Julia that's not 23. This is going to bring up a lot of memories from being with Julia at 23. This is a lot for him to handle. And I feel I feel like Julia, in a way, is ignoring his trauma and just being like, stop worrying about me. I'm fine. I'm not broken, which is a typical survivor thing. Yeah, I'm not sure Julia's doing it on purpose, though. I think it's just, like, reactionary because so many people have been, like, trying to be so gentle with her. And she's been through the fire and the flames and, and, and ooh, that was really cheesy. But, uh... <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. That's why I think they need to communicate better. 100%. And, and talk because she straight up says, this isn't about you. Yeah. Get over yourself. Yeah. It is about him. It's a lot about him. He's got... His own trauma, he, the woman he loved, died. Right. And being with Julia Forty is just, is, it's going to be hard for him. It's a whole new experience. It's going to bring up new traumas. And I feel like they needed to talk about that. Do you think they bone? Didn't they have I don't to? Think they well, bone. do you think they oh, bone? Oh, yeah, because Julia's, Julia's pregnant. I don't think Pre- they bone. Pregnant. 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 Yeah, but I assumed that was from when they were dating. I, didn't I mean, think I thought that, that would, like, boning was part of the like worship worship spell thing oh wait i genuinely don't know if they banged or not now did they bang (laughs) cat says they didn't bang so yeah it was just a sexy diagnostics test you know when you gotta boot up your uh, computer i like i like i like that better though because (laughs) they're not having sex and he's still the, the way he's going about consent at every step is actually Julia might not realize it, but that's actually really good for Julia and for recovery to have him go through consent 
can I do this? Is this okay? Can I touch your boobs? Can I do this? Because that's giving her sexual power back. Yeah. Penny 23 is a dope dude. Uh, I think... That's another thing I've been saying all fucking podcasts. I think it's interesting. But I really do think it's interesting that when we see Quentin, he's just accepted his failure and that he's a failure. Like, he's just flat out accepted that, like, of course his, his mom is, like, being his mom. He was just like, well, I missed the funeral. I missed everything leading up to it. So there's nothing you can say to my mom that's going to change that, even though it's not his fucking fault. I think the worst part is his mom isn't even upset. She expects him to fail. Q's like a a child still to her. Yeah. Um, I also think it's interesting that I think I think Quentin's mom made his dad feel like a failure too. Yeah. Cause she was like, he doesn't even have any like friends. Like And I'm wondering, like, did he really not have any friends or did he push away all of his friends when he got the diagnosis? Because that's a common thing to do. Yeah. But yeah, his his mom's just like, your dad's a loser, he doesn't have any friends, and you you break everything. You break everything. This family sucks. Absolutely. Quentin is the one that that is like, yo, he's dead. Can we stop like dunking on him real quick? <laughs> no, I also want to talk about his receding hairline, his poor fashion choices, how terrible he was at sweeping, and his poor voca- vocabulary and grammar. <laughs> um also Quentin's dad's actor was in Aquarius, which basically has like ninety percent. So was of everyone else in the show. Yeah. So I binged that. It, it, like it's a great show. I I enjoyed it, but I binged it, and then, like <laughs> I went and rewatched The Magicians, and so I saw Quentin's dad talking about how unfortunately he had cancer. But all I could fucking think about was him getting pegged by one of Charles Manson's followers, and how graphic that was. <laughs> and that's literally the only thing I can think about whenever somebody mentions Quentin's dad now. So I've got to watch this show. It's a hoot. <laughs> but I, I like how Quentin's mom's just like, don't break anything. So I have a question for you, and we kind of already touched on this. Did Quentin's dad fail at being a parent? No, no, Quentin's dad was a good dad. He cared about Quentin so much. Even if he didn't know how to do it, he cared. He didn't understand a lot of what Quentin enjoyed and what Quentin was going through. Mm -hmm. Which it's it's hard when you've got a when you've got a kid. Like, but I think there's a nice parallel Mm -hmm. between Quentin's obsession with magic and his dad's obsession with model planes. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't, like, I think that's part of why he kind of understands Quentin, is he doesn't understand why Quentin loves this, but he can say, I, it's the same thing as planes. His uh-huh. fantasy is my planes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's, it's a comfort type of thing. I think Quentin's mom might have failed at being a parent, but I don't think his dad did. Yeah. I, I think like Monstell's are we okay, play good statement. Are we calling him Jennifer? Are we calling him Monstell? Are we calling him the monster? You know, whatever. Is it just whatever we feel like on that particular day? Alright. Um Monstell's failure to understand human grief. Like, cause he flat out was like, Oh, your dad died. I assumed you'd be like fucking murdering people. Um 
Why don't you get angry and kill things? Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's a case of like failure. It's another case of like failure turning into something good because he winds up because he just doesn't grasp the concept fully. He makes it carthatic, car- yeah, carthatic, cathartic. Um, to be like, oh, we'll just like think outside the box and break shit. I like how he's learning, and he just. Yeah. I wrote down the quote: "You're not gonna kill anything." Interesting. Yeah. Like, huh? This is new. Well, let's see what this does and if it helps, because I've. Yeah. I've never played the Dead Dad game before. Yeah. I like that he calls it that. Yeah, we're just like, okay, uh, you do you. I'll let you play this game. I wrote down, just because I fucking love this in general, the things break around me. And, like, there was no hesitation or anything. The monster just went, well, then break them on purpose. That was exactly what fucking Quentin needed. Exactly. I do want to ask, do you think he just minor mended all of those after he was done? <laughs> like, no, I, I think it I think it had to do with like I think it's nice to break things and just see them broken and realize it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because like what was it? There was um your parents never change how they see you. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, break them on purpose. And I think there is something nice about being the monster or the failure that everyone expects you to be and just standing in a room of debris and going, is that what you wanted for me to break everything, for me to destroy everything? Is that what you wanted? That's what you call me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you expect. That's more the monster and how the, how the gods see him. Well, if you see me as a monster and you tell me I'm all these horrible things. Yeah. That's what I'm going to be. telling of his character. And it, it kind of, it shows that the monster, he can change if he's, yeah, well, he's capable, cared however. for. Because he's he's going to become whatever the loudest voice tells him he is. Mm-hmm. Again, the, the monster is a child. If you give them negative reinforcement, they're going to be negative. If you give mm-hmm. them positive reinforcement, they're going to be positive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know shit about psychology, but like can speak from experience um i think quentin's feelings of failure um when he does finally break that plane and he just lets out that yell and he did it he breaks it on purpose which is important to note because he was accidentally breaking those stuff when he was little because he's a fucking kid i think that's when like all of the feelings of failure finally do boil over and he stops for a very brief moment being this kind of numb person he's been since basically the beginning of season four yeah he was just it was a little bit more emotion than the slightly catatonic quentin <laughs> yeah uh no i would describe it as numb and ang- but anxious Absolutely. anxious about fucking up mm-hmm. just just on the planes i also think it's important the monster pointed out this is yours now mm-hmm. all of these things are yours so he's not he's breaking his own things yeah, 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 yeah. Which I, I think is an important distinction to make. Mm-hmm. It's his choice through and through. This is mine. I choose what to do with it. I can choose to mm-hmm. set it on a shelf, or I can choose to throw it against the wall. It's my choice what I do with what is mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, oh my god. I That's, again, one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> 
I love it's so cinematically beautiful too. Mm-hmm. It's just such a release. And then and then they're sitting there surrounded by broken airplane pieces, and the monster tells Quentin that Elliot's dead. Um, yeah, okay, so sidebar. Uh the entire time Elliot is eating fries and those fries are cold. Like, 90% of the food that they fucking give, that you see people eating, is cold, 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 cold. That's why, like, when people take pizzas, it's not melted or anything. So not only did <laughs> fucking Hale Appleman have to... I, I could not stop thinking about this during the entire scene. It was such an important moment that all I could think about <laughs> is how Hale Appleman was shoving these fucking cold-ass potatoes multiple times for probably multiple takes for hours on end and then probably spitting them out in a bucket i could not stop thinking about how cold those fries were i don't know why you know we all find something we we focus on you know honestly though i'm thinking about it i know you said hail but i can totally see the monster eating cold fries because he doesn't know they're supposed to be warm i mean the bitch ate frozen peas (laughs) If you stick with me on a podcast, I'm going to notice the shit like that. Look, I ramble about fashion choices. It's true. <laughs> I like how the monster, by the way, speaking of fashion choices, dresses like a child. With these graphic tees. With they the, make me the so puns. angry. <sighs> I have such complex, but it's got that, that the puns on it. It's something you'd see on, no offense to anyone, but generally it's it's something made for someone in middle school oh full offense he looks like he walked out of a spencer's <laughs> yes yes when a, when a kid is trying to be cool it works for a character but i look at it and it's too it's too i just get flashbacks to when i was 14 and i thought taco cat was the funniest thing in the world and like i half expected a, another shirt that said like rar is i love you and dinosaur and like i couldn't fucking handle it i was like no i am not about this stop it oh, and my like, whole body tensed when you said that Exactly. Everyone's like, oh, his shirt is so cute. And I'm like, that is Vietnam flashbacks for me. Right Seriously, now. <laughs> I'm having emo kid flashbacks. Uh huh. Um, here's my question <laughs> Does the monster get the puns? I don't fucking know. Does he understand them or does he just say, there's a cat in a taco on this shirt? I have eaten a taco. I like tacos. I have pet a cat. I like cats. Therefore, the shirt will be good for me because I like tacos and I like cats. I want a scene of the monster in Hot Topic looking at these shirts and then the poor, like, Hot Topic employee trying to explain what all of them means. Like, I I would tell for, like, just a 15-second scene. And why is that one funny? Yep. That is very funny. What about that one? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there's like another employee dead on the floor. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Do you have anything else or should we move on to Alice and Fucknuts? Uh, when the monster tells Quentin that Elliot's dead, he waits until after he's seen Quentin cope with death mm-hmm. and he's helped Quentin cope with death. So it's like... Well, your dad died and we broke planes, so you'll be okay if Elliot's dead, uh-huh. because we're playing the dead game, and you yep. understand the rules of the dead game. Yeah, it was calculated, but not in a way that, like, 
Margot or Elliot calculates things. It's just, a, oh, okay, I can say this, and then X person will react Y, and it will be better for everyone. He says we can smash more things. It's it's just a different level mm-hmm. of it's just a, a different level of the game. We played the dad is dead game. We finished that. We smashed things. That game's done. Now we can play the Elliot is dead game and we can smash more things and then we'll be done. Mm-hmm. Uh do you think the monster told Quentin that Elliot was dead because Quentin would be more useful without wishing for Elliot to come back? I think that's... Or because Elliot was waking up and the spell was breaking and he could hear Elliot in his head. I think that is fucking fantastic and I have literally never thought about that before. And now I am so happy that, like, Elliot woke up, Charlton said what's up, and, like, the monster was like, oh, Elliot's dead! (laughs) Like a fucking panic button. Now we're playing the ignore this game. I don't like this. Game. I don't like the Elliot is awake game. Oh, I love it. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't have an opinion on whether or not it. It's the reason or not because I'm just reveling in the fact that that could even be a thing, and I've never thought about it before. Like, I need does that make four sense? to six. I need four to six business days to think about this. Yeah, my brain go real slow, guys. <laughs> I think okay. So the coolest part about Monstel to me is yes, it's. Like, yes, he's he's boobified, yes, he's he's childlike and stuff. But there's also another level that I think oh, yeah, don't necessarily, not like or ignore, but, like, I don't necessarily think they pay much attention to because the childlike thing is such a fun thing to focus on, which is fine. That's Yeah, I'm no, not, there, like, there's a whole, a whole level of complex understanding and manipulation that he's got. And I love it. Honestly, not, not, to, not to be, like, like um refute your point but it's it's the same type of manipulation and and cunning as a kid who wants dessert yeah so he he feeds his broccoli to the dog yeah yeah very clever and shit you wouldn't think about yeah i don't think that's refuting my point at all okay just for the record and also if you did that's cool we have two different opinions (laughs) whatever Let's do Alice. We haven't touched my bay in a while. Yeah, uh, we saved the worst for last. Now that Alice is the worst. Love is a piece of shit. There are some really interesting parallels, though. Yeah, uh, so the whole, basically, the arc of this ep, but also I feel like 90% of the season, if not the full thing, is Alice dealing with her feelings of failure and the fact that she screwed the booch, metaphorically. Um. Alice was just working with Santa, who is a symbol of all things, like, good and joyous in your childhood, and, like, the happy parts of your childhood. Santa's coming. And now she's with Plover, who is a child molester, and has stolen and ruined childhoods. Oh, yeah! And I've mentioned before that I I view Alice as one of the, the most innocent, naive characters, one of the arguably most childlike characters out of the group. She's very emotionally stunted. And a lot of it's reflected in her in her outfits with the Peter Pan collars. Which I will die for. Well, those are typically um, associated with, with children. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that's what Alice wears because I think she is very childlike. The way her yeah. eyes lit up when she was with Santa and now yeah. with this child molester. 
okay. Yeah, like, listen, okay, so we can all agree that Plover is a failure of a human being, uh, who fucking sucks. Oh, yeah, God made a mistake with him. Yeah. And it's, yeah, he, he spends, like, the entire time trying to make Alice's own feelings of failure go away by comparing them, and I think, like, I think his motivation was more, um, to... To be like, see, now you're on your like you're on our side, like my side. It's it's the same. We're the same. And Alice is just like, fuck you, the entire time. When when Plover says to Alice, "Did you ever unintentionally hurt someone you love?" and he's, <gasps> he's trying to connect with her, and Alice is just like, "Yeah, but I didn't molest children." That like, is hundred percent what I fucking wrote down. Alice is like, yeah, I fucked up all of magic, but I never touched a child. You gross creeper, stay away from me. Yeah, and like to pile on that, it's just, and Plever is sitting there being like, do you deserve happiness? And first of all, it's heartbreaking that Alice doesn't think so. But like Plever continues and is like, don't be so hard on yourself. We all deserve it. And Alice doesn't miss a fucking beat and was like, yeah, no, I don't think you do. Which You like, don't deserve it. Um, I think, though, Alice needed this to see someone who had done, she needed to see someone worse than her to prove to herself she wasn't a monster. Yep. She yep. was not the worst thing anyone could be. She was, she could have regrets, but grow. Mm -hmm. And then... At the same time, like, Plover's trying to use Alice to erase his own guilt. Yeah, Plover's 100% using Alice, absolutely, like, without a fucking doubt. It's just, it's, it's on multiple levels, too. Like you just said. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because in this scene they were kind of jumping from the speech that Jennifer was giving to what Plover was saying to Alice. Mm-hmm. And and Jennifer was saying, you know, the world won't be so different because of what you do. So don't don't be sad about it. Uh, your father won't be less dead because you're crying. Exactly. You know, don't, don't worry. And Plover's saying, you know, it's it's whatever, man. When you reflect, make sure you reflect on the best version of yourself possible. You can't. Ch you can. You can change who you are by seeing it differently. Like. This is what frustrates me so much about Plover is because he's not wrong, but that's not how you do it. You can be correct without being right. Oh, it's that fucking Onion headline. It's like, heartbreaking. Person you hate comes up with a good point. Stop it, Plover. You suck. <laughs> and I, I just hate how he asked her if, you know, do you deserve happiness? You know, it, kind of almost being like, we're the same. Like, and Alice is like, fucked. I've done bad things, but I'm a good person. You're a bad person. I yeah. now know what bad people are. And Santa was right. I'm good. <laughs> I'm just, I'm really glad that they they could have had a whole episode of Alice waffling on whether or not she was a good person or not. And they didn't. And I really fucking appreciate that. She was immediately just like, no, fuck you. No, no, I don't fucking fiddle kids. <laughs> she need that's why I feel like she needed this. Absolutely. Oh, and then then when when Plover Plover kind of says the same thing Santa says and we were talking about the last couple episodes. You think who you are and what you've done are the same. And who Alice is and what she's done aren't the same. 
No. Who Plover is and what he's done is the same. Yep. Yep. Hundo. I just don't like how he's trying to use Alice to kill his own guilt. I just don't like him. Period. Stop. I mean, like, it's a, that's a popular opinion. I'm not, like, fancy for saying that. I know. I just want to reiterate it, because that's how much I hate him. <laughs> Shit, I just realized something. What? Also, what, what, what I was saying before, with um, before she was working with Santa, that the symbol of all things good in childhood, and then with Plover, the child you monster. I never made that connection. I'm so mad at myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking, Plover also made a lot of people's childhoods. He stole Martin's, but he gave all this joy to other children through his books. And it's such a weird contrast from Plover's allowed to be good, but Santa's locked up in the library. Kill your idols. Burn your darlings. (laughs) Santa's locked up in the library and Plover's allowed to do whatever he wants. How is that okay? <laughs> well, Plover's white. Yeah. Like, I'm a pretty chill person and that I don't have the energy to get upset. But, like, I'm upset spaghetti. I'm, I'm upset spaghetti right now. Fuck Plover. <laughs> I love... I love seeing him get shot. I just wish Martin hadn't made it so that he couldn't die. I get it. You wanted to torture him for eternity, but the rest of us want him dead. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think the curse should have been Plover dies when Martin dies. See, I think that would be too good for Plover. I want him dead. I want to take Plover and put him- Like, I want to Wolverine this sitch. I want to, like, put him in rebar and then just dump him in the bottom of the ocean. Dude, Logan- Logan would fuck his shit up because Logan- Logan cares about children so much. Yeah. He loves children as much as he hates Scott. I feel like the NSA is listening on this just because we got, like, real graphics, so I'm gonna just move on. Sorry, NSA agent who lives on my laptop. I'm sorry, I'm joking. It's a fictional thing. Uh. I also wrote down good people do bad things and bad people do good things. Yep. But don't yep. know what I was referencing. Also, I really want that spell that Plover has. The automatic writing one. I don't. Bruh, I could finish my fanfics. But is it really you writing it? Did you really yes. write it? Yes. If you, if you use I feel like it uses your ideas. Yeah. And it's it's automatic writing, so it's still like... I don't know how to explain it. We'll get it. You'll, you'll text the group Discord chat at like 3 a.m. Um, uh, do you have anything else for Alice and the piece of shit that is Plover? Just that comparison that the monster saying the world won't be different because of what you do so don't be sad about it plover just like Uh, you can change who you are by seeing it differently you can rewrite your own history make yourself the hero god i hate him yeah so let's switch it up to the lectio divina my dudes yes my my person yes oh we did we did already um get the quote kind of semi ahead of time uh and what it is is the phrase it's not going to come to that i promise so for those of you just tuning in or 
I'm just going to talk a lot and hear the sound of my own voice. There are four steps to what we're doing with this. One is we just examine what's literally happening in the text. The other is a story that what it makes you think of. The next is what it makes you think of your life. And the other one is what do you feel called to for it? Let's just go through. So the phrase is, it's not going to come to that, I promise. Jasper, what is literally happening in the text? I feel like I just gave you a pop quiz. I, that's <laughs> how I feel. I, I feel like you just called on me in class while I was napping. Jasper, can you answer this Lectio Divina for me? Is this the is this line from when um, Josh gave Margot the gun? Yep, yeah it is. I'm good. So it's Margot reassuring It's Josh, Josh saying, if you have to kill me, and Margot ah. saying, I won't, because I don't fail, because I keep my friends alive. Mm -hmm. Except Elliot, but we're not talking about that. Mm -hmm. Let's just bury that right quick. Um, <laughs> it's not going to come to that, I promise. What is a story that that makes you think of? I kind of think about, like, all through the Harry Potter books. Mm-hmm. When Harry, anytime Harry would talk about dying, all of his friends would be like, that's not going to happen. We're not even going to think about that. Yeah. It's not going to come to that. We're not, we're going to figure something else out. Yeah. It doesn't include you dying. Yeah. Honestly, the only thing I'm drawing a blank, the only thing that's coming to mind is like the James Bond spy cyanide capsules that they keep in like the back of their mouth. Oh, like <laughs> boot pills. Yeah, the like, it's not going to come to this, but just in case, here's your death. Like, <laughs> One of my antique dealer friends has got a pair of um, Cold War boots with mm -hmm. a detachable sole with the hidden compartment or things like that. Yeah, there's uh, an amazing Canadian show, actually, with a fantastic Evelyn Brochu. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And it's called X Company, and it's about World War II and spies. It's it's seriously fantastic. But there's this whole episode around... It's so anxiety-inducing. It's about a bunch of undercover people figuring out information for the spies. And it's just this entire intense six-minute scene of this girl trying to figure out if she needs to take one of the pills in her little fucking pillbox that she keeps in her makeup. And, like, I was sweating by the end of that. That sounds... I want to watch that. It was like the third episode. Yeah, I'll send you it. Um. <laughs> yeah, no. Send me a link to that. I want to watch it. So, uh, the phrase, what does it make you think of in your life? It's not going to come to that, I promise. So this is personal story time. Yeah. Um, I immediately think about when I was on the helicopter being airlifted to a Baptist hospital after I got shot, mm -hmm. and I was like, apparently most people do not remember their helicopter ride. I remember it vividly because I thought I had to stay awake or I would die, and I didn't know my back was broken at the time, and I thought that it had hit my kidney, Ooh. so I was like talking to the, the medic that was in the back of the helicopter with me, and I'm like, what are my chances of a of a transplant, of a transplant, like how, where would, do you think I'd fall on that list, like how often do people get it do people get a new kidney like asking all these questions and he's like that's not gonna happen we don't have to think about that damn dude it did not hit my kidney by the way well thank you for that 
I guess. Or even when I was, I when, I was in the, <laughs> when I was in the when I was in the helicopter and I'm going, I don't have insurance. Who's going to pay for it? And he's like, Oh, that's a mood. We're not going to think about that. That's not what we're concerned about. I would absolutely be concerned about it. I would be in your boat too. Like that's the. Oh, first I said that to the I ambulance have. guys, yeah. the helicopter guys, the ER doctors. I don't have insurance. Who's going to pay for this? Yeah, like I got. I got absolutely smashed at a Christmas party, slipped on some ice, and, like, busted my hip. And my first thought when I woke up was, like, holy fuck, I don't have insurance, and I'm in the United States now. And it was $400 for three fucking stitches. I got a bill for $30,000. Got a bill for $30,000 for the helicopter. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not going to tell me what it thinks of in your life because like compared to your fucking epic helicopter story mine's a bunch of diddly poo poo crap so we're oh, gonna slide. uh what do you feel called for when it comes to that phrase which is it's not going uh, to come to that yeah it's not gonna come to that i promise it kind of makes me want to like go out there and help others a little bit of like a i want to be somebody's fail safe <laughs> yeah i can see that like Someone who's worrying about, what if I yeah. can't get groceries? It's not going to come to that. Yeah, I want to help a dude out. I want to help a fellow. But from a responsibly uh, safe distance, because this is the core times. So, I mean, shit, the, the fandom has helped me out massively since I've been in the hospital. I yeah cannot believe it. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of people are... Are helping each other especially because of what's going on but yeah the fandom really fucking uh, guys the magician's fandom is real neat it's just so good yeah no it's it's real neat despite all of the bullshit that happens when you are in a fandom i think it's really neat now it's time for flowers and vases <laughs> yes flowers and vases so basically uh it's you don't you don't give someone the flower and the vase at the same time because it's a backhanded compliment. Like saying, you're really you're really smart for a dumb person. Yeah, or like you fight really well for a girl and like shit like that. You're really insightful for someone so stupid. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Jesus Christ. Are we, <laughs> are we going to do flowers and vases? What you want to do, boo? I want to give my vase to flower. I want to... Here's my thing. Always. I want to take my vase, and if it's possible, I want to smash Plover over the head with it, and then take up the pieces and throw them at, what's her face, Helen. Helen, yes. You know, let's just put them together and smash our vases. Yeah, I just, ooh, contest for the worst people in the world. Those two. <laughs> you're, both, you're, you're both guilty of sexual assault, and I feel like a lot of people don't realize that not disclosing your STD status is sexual assault mm -hmm. but i had a guy uh take off his condom once in the middle of sex and like i immediately went to my doctor and i'm like this no. this is what happened and my doctor goes if you have an std you can sue him for sexual assault because you did not consent to that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i didn't but i didn't have anything but i just think it's really important that people know that is a form of assault that is not okay and you can legally sue them for that. Good. Yeah. Flower. I I gotta give it to Margo. I, like, Josh did what he could, and he did the absolute right things. He was a close contender, but, like, I gotta give it to Margo. 
Margot sacrificed she everything. Oh, yeah, 100. <laughs> I don't know why I was like, I gotta give it to Margot. Like, it was a bad thing. It's not. Margot's fucking cool. Like, <laughs> I love because her. Because <laughs> I think you said it like that because you were also thinking about giving it to Josh, and then your conclusion was, I've got to give it to Margot over Josh. Yeah. Hey, Jasper, what's your flower? <laughs> Are you giving my? Yes, my flower. Um, yeah. I'm going to give it to Alice this time. Hell yeah! I think I think Alice deserves it. I think Alice has mm-hmm. not only come a long way, but I think she's starting to see the good in her that she thought she had lost, that she had mm-hmm. kind of given up on, mm-hmm. and I think she's accepting her failures as a part of her rather than a defining feature. Yeah, yeah. A lot of characters did real good today, but, like, not today, but, like, this episode. <laughs> I mean, in comparison to Helen and Plover, they were Oh, yeah, it, it was it was definitely karmic whiplash. Uh. <laughs> but I like how all the stories kind of went together in this episode. Mm-hmm. I still yeah, it was love pretty... adopting Margot language. Right. Hell, yeah. <laughs> we stand. We stand. We have no choice to stand. We Over are... Stand. I I actually didn't I wasn't a big fan of Josh before like we started talking about it and going in depth. Mhm. Because the first time I watched him like does he really have a personality besides Margot and cooking? And then getting deeper into it I'm like, "Oh wait. Josh has this whole ass thing." <laughs> that makes me so happy to hear. Uh yeah. I don't I don't know what it is about Josh. I feel like when you first watch it, Josh doesn't stand out a lot. No. He's kind of just over there. But I don't think he ever necessarily does in the show, say for like, oh, I've got a pop culture reference. Now the coin's gone. Oh, I've got uh, food. See, and originally that was all I saw was pop culture reference and, and food. And they're trying to make him like off-brand Xander from mm-hmm. Buffy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like going deeper into it, I like seeing that he does have this whole character that's not on the surface it's kind of yeah quiet he he suffers from not that i mm, i want to make it very clear i'm not saying that other magician characters are not layered i am absolutely not saying that because that would be a disservice to literally the whole fucking cast but he does have a sort of subtleness to his character that often gets eclipsed because he hangs out with people like Fen or Margot and they're like who are very loud yeah yeah and he's got a quiet sort of strength yeah so uh yeah in conclusion we have no choice but to stand um in conclusion I guess we just have to love Josh yeah uh oh that warms my heart I'm so glad you like Josh um (laughs) that's I like not liking a character and then I feel like it's it's just so fun to learn to love a character. Absolutely. If that makes sense. Oh, well, no, you're right. Like, absolutely. Um, that's kind of how I felt with Marina. I was like, yeah, Marina's an interesting character. And then he just kind of left it at that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think that about sums up our uh, cool, fun time podcast. Yay. I think it does as well. Do you have any last words other than... Stay fresh, cheese bags. That sounded oh. so threatening. <laughs> I know. Do you, have, do you have any last words? I feel like I've been like, it, it's coming across like I'm 
bullying you and I'm absolutely not. <laughs> I love Jasper. <laughs> but yeah, thank you all for joining us. It's been we, we enjoyed um yeah. we enjoyed. We miss Kat. We lost it. When when she gets back and she does her own thing, it will be great. Thank you for um having a little patience with us as we noodle around and try to figure out what's up without our glorious leader. If Kat's not back next week, I'm going mad with power. You can reach me on Florian420 on Twitter and Jasper at... I forget your Twitter name because I'm a terrible person. Gosh. Jasper uh, Lior or uh, The Magician's Closet, which I yeah. need to Alright, and on that note, act out. I'm the storm coming in. Until next time we see you